Yeah. Amen, amen. You may be seated for a moment. I want to take this opportunity to welcome each and every one of you to High Point Church. We're delighted that you have chose to worship with us this morning. In case you don't know it, this is the most Sunday year for all pastors. There's nothing like trying to preach to a congregation that's suffering from sleep deprivation. I, I look across the congregation and say, oh, I hope he hurries today. There's a nap in my future. Amen. I want to congratulate our youth department, and I'll say this again when Megan with us for the outstanding event they had last night. I've heard nothing but good reports, and I appreciate the job they have done with that. And we're just thrilled. Uh, we're anticipating great things from our youth department and from their endeavors. And we're just thrilled for what's going on with them. I received this week a letter in the mail. I want to share with you, if you'll just indulge me for a couple minutes, uh, from the International Ministerial Association Incorporated from Paul W. Todd, the administrator for the organization of their home office in Lacanta, Florida. And I'd just like to share that with you. It says, Dear Pastor and Mrs. Magin, I bring you greetings in Jesus' name. He said, I want to commend you and your congregation for hosting a tremendous 2009 IMA Florida District Conference. It was a joy for us to be there. You are a gracious host. We were treated with every kindness. The services were inspiring and the preaching was challenging and the worship was uplifting. The blessing of God was indeed upon this conference. The success of the conference is a reflection of your leadership as pastor. Please extend to your congregation our sincerest appreciation. Give special gratitude to Brother David Goldsberry and to all the singers and musicians for the great praise and worship. We also appreciate the service of the sound technicians, greeters, and others who contributed their time and effort to this exceptional conference. Your ministry and that of Brother Terry Magin and Brother David Goldsberry was thought-provoking, interesting, and poignant. Most of all, we are thankful for the anointing of the Holy Spirit in all of the services and for the blessing of the other ministers who preached during the conference. Let me also congratulate you on becoming a member of the IMA. I believe that you will be happy with your membership and will, will be a blessing to the Florida District as a board member. Please see that all of those responsible for the conference are given our special accolades. We wish we could thank them all personally. Please give our special appreciation to Bishop and Sister Goldsberry for their kind spirit and helpful cooperation with this conference. It was a special time for my wife, Verda, and myself when we were re reunited with Brother John Melton. He is such a fine man, and I had the joy of being his and Sister Nellie's pastor for several years. My prayer is for God's richest blessings to be upon you, your family, the church, and your ministry in Christ. Paul W. Todd. And I will post this on a bulletin board if you'd like to read it again later on. And I again express my thanks to this congregation for their kindness and what an outstanding time and a job that you've done. Amen. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. To me, there is nothing quite so awe-inspiring as a spectacular view from a mountaintop. 
I know that scientists and so forth say that, you know, glaciers came down from the north back during the Ice Age and cut all of these beautiful mountains. And I don't know, scientifically that may be true, but if that be the case, I assure you, God's hand was guiding them. This past summer, Sister Mangina and I spent some time in the mountains in North Georgia and in Tennessee and in eastern Kentucky as we made our way up uh, to uh, up home where our family's from. And the scenes were breathtaking. However, most every individual given the same scenic view would have a different opinion or a different description of how they viewed the scene. There are certain things that I no doubt saw that you probably would see something different. With that said, let me ask you a question. What's your view from the mountain? Would you stand? What's your view from the mountain? <clears throat> I invite your attention this morning to Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Give us just a moment here. Get rewired with a bigger box here, so when it blows up, it'll really blow me out of here. <laughs> just kidding. Thank you, Brother Dave. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Everybody yawn real big and get it out of your system. <sighs> you young folks tired, deprived of a lot of sleep last night, weren't you? If you'll help me, I'll get through this quick. Okay? All right. I love these young folks. They, they take my harassing very well. It's not like other folks that want to fight me. <clears throat> The word of the Lord says, Now after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Well, that would have been a scene, wouldn't it? Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles. Oh, impetuous Peter. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for this privilege and opportunity that we have been given to come together here and to worship you. Lord, we thank you for each one that has come out this morning. I pray that you'll help us today to minister your word and, Lord, to present it as you have given it to us. I pray for transparency. I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit that as we speak today, it might be, O oh God, the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking through us and anoint each to receive and we'll give you the praise and thanks for it all. It is in the name of Jesus we ask it. And everyone said amen. 
Before you're seated, would you look at someone close by you and simply ask them, what's your view from the mountain? <clears throat> what's your view from the mountain? And you may be seated. <clears throat> Amen. Let me preface this morning's message with this thought for just a moment, and that is don't lose your passion for God. Don't lose your passion for God. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In other words, with every ounce of your being. There's an interesting sequence of events leading up to Peter's denial of Jesus Christ. Follow me on this. First, Jesus warned Peter that he was the target. Look at your neighbor's back. There's a target there. Big old bullseye. You've got a bullseye on your back. I know that's what you want to hear this morning. Here's what Jesus told Peter. He said, Peter, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. <clears throat> and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Oh, boy. When you are converted, Peter, strengthen your brother. Now, can't you imagine for just a moment, Peter's impetuous mind just goes wild with thought. What do you mean? When I'm converted. I've already told him I'll go with him to death. I've already told him wherever he goes, I'm going. If he dies, I die. We, we've been down that road. What's he mean when I'm converted? strengthen the brother. Next we read that when the authorities came to arrest Jesus, Peter followed afar off. Hmm, a little bit different attitude now. Now I want you to notice Peter had grown distant from Jesus Christ under the pressure, under the pressure of what was transpiring. Then the man who swore he'd die for Jesus Denied him. Denied even knowing him. At that point, as you recall from the story, the rooster crowed and Peter remembered his promise to Jesus and the Bible said he went out and wept bitterly. <clears throat> now please observe how this works. First of all, you're unprepared for Satan's attack when it comes. The second thing is we allow work and family pressures to cause us to forget that our first commitment must always be to Jesus Christ. I've walked that road many times and so have you. We have allowed things to come along and pressure us to the point that we actually lose sight and we'll forget that our first commitment must always be to Jesus Christ. And then the third thing is, we end up spiritually defeated. 
Now I know someone's thinking right now, well, that'll never happen to me. I'm telling you now, Pastor, that'll never happen to me. Really? However, that's exactly what Peter said. I'll, I'll die with you. You see, the reason Satan has desired to have you is because he knows that when you become passionate about God's purposes, you are unstoppable. <clears throat> Go like this. And indeed, the very desire that's burning within you right now is the fuel that enables you to withstand the attacks of the adversary. And there's nothing he would love more for you and I just to become ho-hum, humdrum, hit-and-miss Christians. <clears throat> when we do, he has nothing to worry about. When we're unpassionate about what we know and what we believe and what we have, he has nothing to worry about. You see, there's a reason the crucifixion has been referred to as the passion. The Bible says this of Jesus Christ in Hebrews 12 and 2, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. <clears throat> Even as Jesus was dying on the cross, he was ministering to others. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Hallelujah. Now that's passion. <clears throat> so as we journey forward to the mountain, don't lose your passion for God. Don't lose it. So again, I ask you, what's your view from the mountain? And back to the passage I read as our text for this morning, I want you to notice three very important things. First of all, not everybody gets to go up the mountain. Jesus chose the three who went. I don't know why he chose those three. The Bible doesn't tell us. He didn't take everybody so nobody would feel left out or slighted. And he didn't explain or apologize to the other disciples who stayed at ground level why he chose who he chose. Jesus Christ loves us all equally, but He doesn't give us all the same assignment or the same experiences with Him. Amen. As Brother Dave was talking about this morning, that's one of the things that makes us so unique. And the fact of the matter is, He knows what He's doing. The second thing is, those who go up the mountain aren't necessarily wiser or more spiritual. Amen? After seeing Jesus enveloped in the glow of God's glory, oh, Peter, he, he blurts out, Man, I like it here. Whew! Let's build three tabernacles. We'll just stay right here on the mountain. We'll build one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, and we'll just have us a happy time right here on top of the mountain. Now, Peter was sincere. There's no doubt in my mind. However, he was sincerely wrong. 
You see, it's so important to resist the temptation to speak instead of waiting to hear what God has to say. Or to build our ministry around an experience we've had with God that's designed to equip us personally and not become the theme and emphasis of our life. Amen. The third thing I want you to notice is the eternal plan was and always will be to feature Jesus Christ and not you and I. The featured attraction is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen. You see, Jesus Christ is to be the main attraction. And it's a lesson that we keep having to learn over and over and over and over again. Amen? The Bible says in Matthew 17, verses 5 through 8, and I'll paraphrase this as much as possible from the constraints of time, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped, enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son whom I love, and I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus Christ. Amen? It wasn't about Moses. It wasn't about Elijah. It was about Jesus Christ. And he said, I want you to listen to him. He's the authoritative word. Amen? The greatest challenge in our life is getting to the place where we focus on no one except Jesus. Amen? You know, the most important relationship that we have is with him. The only plan that will work outright is the one He gives us. No other plan will work. And the power needed to fulfill that plan comes from Him and Him alone. Amen? So, I ask you again, what's your view from the mountain? Jesus said to His disciples, in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20, if you have faith as a mustard seed. Have any of you ever seen a mustard seed? You can't hardly see the thing with the naked eye. It's so little. He said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Amen? When Jesus and his disciples came down from the mountain of transfiguration, they were faced with an epileptic boy who kept falling into the fire and water. His heartbroken father come to Jesus and told Jesus, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Follow me now. Immediately, Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. Now, there's three important things that I want you to pay particular attention to here. And I know our mind goes immediately, ah, oh, he was Jesus. He was, he was God and man. And, you know, he, 
so forth and so on. And there was an issue the disciples had that kept them from taking care of business. First of all, mountaintop experiences are to equip us for our next encounter with the enemy. We don't get to stay there as much as we'd like to. But they are to equip us for our next encounter with the enemy. If we don't understand that, we won't be prepared for the challenges ahead. And I assure you, we're going to face challenges. The second thing is we are called to minister to people who keep falling into situations that hurt them. Amen? That's what we're called to do. To minister to folks that keep falling into situations that hurt them. And it's going to take more than personality and religious platitudes to set them free. Amen? It's going to take more than personality and religious platitudes to set them free. Now, please notice this. Christ's disciples were powerless in this situation. They could not take care of that boy. They could not heal him. Because they were prayerless. So now, wait a minute, Pastor. That's a pretty strong statement. No, no. Jesus said it. And here's how we know that. He said to them in Matthew 17 and 21, this, when they come to Jesus, they get Jesus off to the side and said, look, we, we, we're having trouble here with this. Man, we've we, we done everything we knew. We couldn't help that boy. Why? Why couldn't we help him? And Jesus said, told him this, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Now, I know, I keep saying the same few things over and over again, and, and you hear it a lot around here, but I'm going to say it again. If we keep doing the same old, same old, we'll keep getting the same old results. Now, please understand this, and I follow that statement up with this. Persistent, prevailing prayer is the price we must pay for walking in God's power. Without persistent, prevailing prayer we will not have the power necessary to pray over folks and them be set free. All of the eloquent preaching and teaching in the world will not do the job if the power of God's Spirit and His presence and power is not available. So understand, in light of what I said, persistent prevailing prayer is the price that we must pay individually and collectively for walking in God's power. The third thing that we must notice here is that we must rise above the attitudes around us. Jesus confronted the core problem when he said to his disciples, when the man came to him and his next response was, O faithless generation. He wasn't just talking to that particular individual group. He spoke of the entire generation. He said, O oh, faithless generation. Amen? You get that? Here's the thing. We are fighting the faithlessness of a generation molded by secular media and godless values. Amen? 
Again, we are fighting the faithlessness of a generation molded by secular media and godless values. And if we let it, it will pull us down and it will wear us out. Amen. However, we can prevail. I, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Amen. We can prevail. Say that with me. We can prevail. That day Jesus said to his disciples, which is applicable for you and I today, if you have faith, and I, and I quote this from the NIV, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and it'll move. I don't know about you, but I like that. From this passage, there are two things I want you to observe. If you have faith, you see, everybody around you doesn't have to have faith in order for you to see results. If you wait for everybody around you to have faith, you'll be waiting a while. So please understand, from this passage, we understand that not everyone around us has to have faith. You, you know, everybody around you doesn't have to have faith in order to see results. The second thing is, you don't have to be a spiritual giant. We have to get that out of our out of our minds. Somehow that's been indoctrinated, it's been infilled in our mind. Unless it's the pastor, or unless it's the uh, you know uh, 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 presiding ministry, whatever. We we just can't. You know, you do not have to be a spiritual giant. First of all, we're not spiritual giants. We're just men with an assignment. Just use your tiny mustard seed faith and God will move the mountain. Amen? Just your tiny mustard seed faith and God will move the mountain. You don't have to be able to quote all the infamous passages in the Bible. You don't have to be able to quote the 23rd Psalm. You don't have to be able to recite long prayers. All you need to do is have a tiny mustard-sized faith. God will move them out. As I prepare to close, let me introduce one more thought. Celebrating victory, yet dying of thirst. Celebrating victory, yet dying of thirst. In Judges chapter 15, verses 14 through 18, the Bible, speaking of Samson, the Bible says this. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and his bonds broke loose. He found a fresh jawbone, took it, and killed a thousand men. Then you notice on down a little bit farther, 
Then he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance. Now shall I die of thirst? You have given this great deliverance. Now shall I die of thirst? I want you to notice three things in this biblical story. I know we're noticing a lot of things today. But it's the type of the message. First of all, Samson allowed the enemy to bind him. He allowed the enemy to bind him. So let me ask you today, what has you all tied up? Are you fearful of the future? Are you fearful of the economic disaster that we see unfolding in this current society? How are you tied up with some kind of addiction? What's holding you back? What's keeping you from being everything that God has called you to be? He has not called us to sit idly by and do nothing. He has not called us to sit back complacent and unaware of what's transpiring around us. He has called us to arise to the occasion through prayer, fasting, and commitment to his cause to raise up a valiant army of God's people to resist the onslaught of evil. Counselors, programs, and self-help manuals are good. Real good. But it took God's Spirit to set Samson free. Don't you ever forget that. Amen? And that's what it's going to take to set you free as well. The power and presence of His Holy Spirit. You see, we humans have a tendency to talk our problems to death. Oftentimes, even to the point where our friends get to the place where they don't even want to hear us any longer. They won't ask you how you're doing anymore. Because they know it's going to be a 30, 45 minute dissertation. I say that kindly. Hallelujah. And there comes a time when the time for advice is over. It's time to cry out to God and allow His Holy Spirit that can break every bond and every habit to set us free. Amen? 
We're all limited on what we can do. I'm limited on advice I can give out. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of times that, that, that there's things you, that folks tell me that I really don't understand because I've never been there. But there's a lot of times that I can't understand because I have been there. But, but it's time to cry out to God and allow His Holy Spirit that can break every bond and every habit to set us free. Only the power and presence of His Holy Spirit can set us free. <clears throat> Amen. The second thing I want you to notice is that Samson needed to see what had already been given to him. I'll follow me here now. I I'm, I'm almost done. Samson needed to see what God had already given to him to use. I oftentimes encounter folks that are still looking way out yonder for somewhere, for somebody, for something, for some. Individual ability or talent that they can they can glean and take and use for God's glory. Let me tell you, you need to look around and see what God's already given you. Just the jawbone of a donkey. That's not much. From human perspective, that's not much. Just the jawbone of the donkey. But with God's help, it was enough to win the day. He overcame the Philistines and killed a thousand of them. Now, the jawbone of a donkey is not very big. I mean, probably maybe about this long, maybe about that. Just in case you're wondering. You need to ask God to show you what you already have. Put it to work, and He'll give us great success. Amen? Stop looking for faraway places. The answer's right under our nose. Amen? Recognize what God has given you and given us and misuse it. Amen? Finally, as the musicians make their way, Samson was celebrating victory, yet dying of thirst. Think about that for a moment. Samson was celebrating victory, yet dying of thirst. It happens particularly to those who work for God but don't spend enough time with Him. Here's what I mean by that. Those of us in the ministry often give and we give and we give preaching, teaching. That's why such things as this conference that we just had are so refreshing to myself and to those because I was refueled. I was re-energized. I was challenged again and again. I heard men and women say things that refreshed me. Here Samson was just coming off of a great victory and dying of thirst. 
always giving, but never taking in. Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. He said, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. When you constantly give out, but don't take in, Satan gets the advantage. And you know what will happen? We'll end up in Delilah's lap every time. So I said all of that to say this. We need to spend more time with God. We need to spend more time locked away. There's an old chorus they used to sing. It says, shut in with God in a secret place. Oh, how we need to get shut in with God in a secret place. For a time of refreshing and renewal like we've never known before. So spend more time with God. The one who gives you victory can also quench your thirst. The one who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ will also be the one who quenches our thirst. I love water. I, I drink a gallon or more a day, every day. And if I'm in a situation where I can't get to my water, there's sometimes I get so thirsty. And how refreshing it is to get a big old bottle of water and just tip it up. Sometimes I drink till I nearly feel like I'm going to float. But the one who gives us victory can also quench our thirst. Would you stand? So I ask you one last time this morning, what is your view from the mountain?